and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey, Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to our latest show. This time, we have the pleasure of chatting to director Matty Doe and her husband, screenwriter Chris Larson, about their film The Long Walk. But first, for those of you that haven't seen the film, and I, uh, I think we could both highly recommend it, can't we, James? Oh, absolutely, 100%. Should we, should we just very briefly try and set the scene? Feel free, go ahead. Set the scene. Okay, no, uh, well, it's about an old man who takes a long walk. Think, uh, a... <laughs> no, no, jo- I mean, you're right. It's a... yeah. Joking aside, though, it is, it's, we can't go, we are going to get into spoilers in uh, the actual interview and stuff, but uh, I, I think one of the real strengths of the film is that it's a plot which is incredibly simple, but which has a lot of other layers and stuff to it. So it is kind of like an old man, you know, on a, you know, an old hermit in Laos who, who you know, he's living by himself, um, as hermits usually do. But, you know, he's, he can see ghosts, uh, not in a sixth sense way, but genuinely just he can see ghosts. And he's kind of walking up and down this road and it kind of walks in time travel to to himself as a young boy, his relationship with his mother and kind of what that entails. And yes, time travel, the supernatural drama, you know, a lot of different things going on in there. We're delighted to have director Matty Doe and her other half, screenwriter Chris Larson, on the show to chat about The Long Walk. Finally getting release in the UK and the US via Lightbulb Films and Yellow Veil Pictures, uh, respectively. We'll get straight into it, as I know, uh, Matty and Chris, we're cutting into your Galileo viewing time. Um, but let's start with that most important question. What are we all drinking? Uh, Matty, could you start us off? Beer Lao, the heart <laughs> of the Mekong. <laughs> <laughs> How about you guys? <laughs> James, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm drinking famous grouse, which is a bit embarrassing, but I'm not going to I'm not going to open the good whiskey in the afternoon, so <laughs> it'll it'll have to it'll have to do. I'm in Scotland, so famous grouse is probably okay, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> not anywhere you, else. No, probably probably not here either. To be fair, but uh, I could I could have lied and opened like one of the fancy ones. But I mean, I've told the truth now. It's too late. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm on I'm I'm on a, a beer that a, a neighbour gave me uh, quite a while back now. Actually, um, it's Saint Bernardus Abbot mm-hmm. Twelve, which confusingly is ten percent, not twelve percent. <laughs> um, but if I get through that, if I get through that, I've got some Angostura um, rum, nineteen nineteen. Um, Fancy just dude. to see me through the rest of the uh, interview. That's how I, mean, we pre- I have Glenlivet. If it's going to go like that, I have Glenlivet, which is, I think it's nice. I don't know. Well, the Scottish man has to tell me. It's, uh, <laughs> I wish for which Glenlivet is it? Is it a 10 or 12 year? 12, I, mean, I think. 12? I'd say Glenlivet's an easy, an easy whiskey. It, it's not like a Laphroaig, one of the sort of more challenging The PT. It's the yeah, yeah. Oh, space I can't, I can't the space kind of. I mean, it's, Chris has a PD one from Ireland. A what? A PD whiskey, right? PD. PD. Oh yeah, I have a, I have a Kalila. Kalila. Yeah, that's Scottish as well. But yeah. Oh, yeah. it's Scottish. It's not Irish. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Oh my god. It's okay. Let's we don't have that. any whiskey in the house. My husband is half Irish, and I didn't fucking know that. Well, you can just read the bottle. I mean, it's written in like one of those languages that doesn't make sense to me. English. Kalila is hardly. No, it says it says right over there Scottish. Oh, excuse me. I haven't had any alcohol before this, you guys. I swear to God. Fair enough. Well, uh, cheers to everyone on the on mm, the uh, uh, and thanks for, for being on this, guys. Yes. And, uh, yeah, shall we start? James, you want to come in with uh, the, the start of the questions? 
Okay, uh, I guess well, I mean, one thing to say just at the start, I guess, is we are probably going to get into some spoilers, at least on the film, right? We're, we're, we're not going to... You know, on, on the one you hand... assume that they've watched it before they listen, right? Yeah, I think so. Just because, I mean, it, it's such a... I mean, it's a fantastic film, but it is... Mm. Otherwise, we're going to spend the whole thing saying, you know, oh, we can't say what, what happens. We can't say, you know, we can't say this. Or, <laughs> you know, or, or just edit an air horn in every time. We, get <laughs> we could do a spoiler version that, that people can download afterwards. As the rest is just... <laughs> um, I think, yeah, just to start off, though, one, of most, uh, one of the cool things about the film is all the different genres or different aspects it covers, like you know, time travel, sci-fi, horror drama just wondering like what was kind of the, the starting point for, for you know for thinking of the story uh and weaving all these different genres together because it must have been a very you know fairly complicated process for writing it and planning it out in that way well um it, it actually happened kind of by accident right so um it it wasn't as complicated to put together as i think it would have been if we would have started out with that as a complete idea yeah. right mm. so so like i in the first draft of the script, there's no there's no time travel, okay. which sounds crazy, right? Mm. And it, the, the original idea was that we were going to see this old man three times in his life or four times in his life. And he was going to have this ghost companion. And um, but the, the timelines didn't intersect at all. And, and we plotted that out and, and kind of looked at all the different things. And, you know, I remember there was like one day we were sitting on the porch and we were talking about mom dying, which was originally the climax of the film, right? Mm. But not with the old man's intervention. It was just, you, you finally understood that, you know, the kid had killed his mother to, to like help her suffering. And I just remember, I don't, it was like probably about one o'clock in the morning, we're sitting out on the porch and one of us was just like, but wouldn't it be crazy if like, you know, the old man went back in time and helped himself, euthanized his mother. To mm. ease his pain, and he we, thought it was a better choice for the boy. We mm. laughed about that. And <laughs> I, I'm a, I think 12 Monkeys is like my favorite movie of all time. Like I've always wanted to write a time travel movie um and suddenly like we just couldn't get that out of our heads i was like so. think about how much it's going to piss off the art house people that this like <laughs> super authentic lao village film involves time travel <laughs> and i was fine with that because i was like as long as i get to go to a genre festival i'm like super happy right <laughs> but yeah it was it was kind of interesting because like the ideas came in a sequence that made sense so it was like okay well if this old man is going to go back and help himself kill his mother then like what kind of old man is this and then we're like well what if he you know then then all of a sudden you, you're like well what if he turned out to be a serial killer and what you if know and then he killed his own mother you know and then well okay now this boy has seen his mother basically get euthanized and he feels guilty and responsible how does that affect him so so like and and again all of this happened between the first and second drafts yeah. right the first draft was not like that you guys the first draft almost felt like i want to say almost like a docudrama because initially i was like i wanted to make a really mean satire of poverty porn because andrew has been to uh udine before and a lot of these Asian films sometimes are like really sad and like poverty porny or really uh, slow and mystic Asians that just like don't do anything but stare at the wind or the ripples on a <laughs> river or a stream, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, my films don't fall into that category. And mm. there were a lot of people who weren't happy about that because the expectation of a film from Southeast Asia is it needs to be this kind of super artsy poverty porn. Mm. And so um, the first draft was kind of like a poverty porn, but dark and really <laughs> vicious. And um, as it changed, it for me, it was really amazing because it became a study of grief and loss and regret. But at the same time, I was still making a film that was completely breaking the view and the perspective of what a Southeast Asian film should and could be. Do you know what I mean? So I still got my satire in there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, it was it was really weird putting it together. Like I, 
people will ask us, okay, well, like, you know, how did you put the time travel together? You know, and the dirty secret is it's just, it's just back to the future rules. You know, there's no, there's no DeLorean and there's there's no no scientist, right? There's no Doc Brown, but you know, it's just Marty McFly, Marty McFly goes back into the past. And when he comes back into the, into the present, the time has changed. Right. So, so like I didn't, we didn't break the wheel in terms of time travel at all. It was like, I, you know, the only thing that's missing is there's no scientist in this old man's life to be like, don't talk to yourself, you know, and he grandfather wants- paradox. <laughs> yeah, no grandfather paradox, but he like seeks himself out, actually. And that, I think that that's really different for time travel, where he like actually seeking himself out to shake himself by the shoulders and tell himself what to do. And that's kind of different for time travel. I, I mean, but it's just back to the future rules. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the ghost makes it a little muddy, but but like it. No because she's a fucking DeLorean. It's not muddy at all. <laughs> she's the DeLorean. She's <laughs> she is the DeLorean. She's kind of like John Locke's watch in Lost. The watch that just is kind of perpetually traveling through time loops. Oh, I was thinking I don't that know. she I, was I love- Penny, the the wife of the Scottish no. man who was like, you know, be my constant or whatever. No, 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 the watch. Uh, I don't because remember the it. watch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was so much in Lost to, to try and remember all the different strands. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I think Mary Palin writing a time travel story. <laughs> but that's one. Of, but that's one of the really interesting things about the film as well is because you know, kind of Back to the Future aside, so many time travel films, like uh, even just stuff. You know, like Tenet and whatnot recently just trip over themselves desperately trying to explain everything and mm-hmm. trying to cover every plot hole or every possible, you know, every possible question people are going to ask. Whereas here, you know, it doesn't, like you say, there's no scientist. There's no sudden, like, big rationalization for why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was that, just, was that a conscious yeah. decision trying to avoid all that stuff? Like, I'm a simple human being, James. I'm a really <laughs> simple human being. <laughs> you know, many of you guys have met me in real life. Um, I would not to take on time traveling if it needed a fucking user manual and <laughs> I don't know, Tenet, like i think we had to go see it twice for me to like start piecing shit together in tenant because i was just like i need all of these explanations just know what the hell is going on and i still am not sure if i know what the hell is going on but whereas the, the long walk if you were in the situation as a long walk you would want you would know that you'd have to just discover it organically and figure out how it worked and that's just how it would be, right? If you were a human who fell into the situation. And so I wanted everyone in the audience to go on the same kind of discovery as the old man. So yeah, maybe in the beginning, you're not sure what's going on. And the old man himself isn't completely sure what's going on. And then right when everyone thinks they start to have a grasp on it is about the same time the old man starts to think he has a grasp on it. And it just goes so far off the rails that everybody's like, oh, crap. We've gone too far, but this is how we would discover time travel in real life if there well, if there were time travel in real life. Well, I think I think there's some fun too in that like we've taken a character that ultimately has such a little impact on the future because he's so isolated that like mm-hmm. there's no he steps on a butterfly and goes back to the present and human beings are extinct. Like <laughs> like the stakes in his life are so small that it's like he goes back and changes something, and when he returns to the present, the cabinet's broken. Yeah, you it's know, so minor. every it's everything minor. is still kind of fundamentally the same until it isn't, yeah. right? Mm. And and you know, I I liked this idea of like, okay, here's a time travel story for a hermit that has very few human interactions, who can't seemingly mess up his past too much, and and you know that <laughs> gives him confidence to actually screw it up way too much yeah. right so he doesn't it's almost like how bad can it possibly be like my, his life is so insular uh and all he's trying to do is just ease his pain because he has such a horrible memory of his mother dying and he wants to have his mother nearby you know when when she dies after he goes and takes a moment to himself where his mother used to sell vegetables, right? He takes that moment because it's, it is traumatic. And he says, had to re-witness her passing again. He runs to that cemetery and he immediately calls like, mom, mom, are you here? Where are you? And it, in a way it's like, he is, 
he really thinks it's that simple. He's just like a little boy again. He just wants something so small and basic, but he's pushed it so far out even just because of his the consequences of his action. I mean, like with the, I mean, it's interesting that the your your vision of the future isn't massively different from <laughs> what we have now. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> just he, just no money, no cash. We're children of the eighties. Well, yeah. he's a child of the seventies. Me I'm too. A, um, I was born in eighty one. I remember there was this arcade game. I don't remember the name, but the screen opens like the year is twenty twenty or something like that, and it, it's like a fucking space invasion game, like world war whatever and then blade runner i think takes place in like the year 2021 or something like this and here we are you guys it's 2022 <laughs> i don't have a spaceship parked in my driveway i have an inflatable flamingo pool the same kind of pool i had when i was four years old you know what i mean <laughs> and there are just so many things that haven't changed but the things that have changed are really shocking like look at us we're having a video call right now in 1980, that's something that I couldn't have imagined. Um, and there was this episode in The Simpsons, I remember, where like Bart and Lisa are grown up and they have to remind their mother that they're on video call and they can see her. And that was like our vision of the future. So yeah, we do have video call, but we're still driving cars that aren't that different from the cars that we drove 20 years ago. And the biggest thing that I wanted to point out is like as much advance, as much advancement as we have in the future, there's certain shit that doesn't change. Like, mm -hmm. there's still going to be poor people. There's still going to be disease. You know, like, we're in 2022 and cancer hasn't been cured yet. And cancer is not, or tuberculosis isn't cured in his world either. You're still going to have human suffering and the human condition, no matter how many chips you get implanted into your body. Yeah. We, we took a, when we first got to Lao, we, we traveled around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I remember... You know, one time we were on this like 14 hour drive that it, it was it was about 300 kilometers. But because the roads are so bad, it takes 14 hours of switchbacks through mountains. And I mean, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. It gets dark at night and you can see the Milky Way because there's no light pollution. And we stopped in this little wooden shack um, that was selling Cokes and, and bottles of petrol in like glass bottles. Like they went and filled up a bunch of glass bottles at a petrol station and then brought them back to fill up motorbikes. And it was all hard packed dirt floors and dogs running around everywhere. And a kid on an iPhone seven, Yeah, you know, it was iPhone and, five or iPhone three at the time. Well, whatever iPhone, yeah, iPhone, it doesn't matter. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, that's how technology spreads through through this country yeah. you know it, it's kind of interesting like um lao for example never had the infrastructure to put landlines in houses right so they went from having no phones to having mobile phones mm -hmm. and and the weird thing about that is that like i take for granted growing up in the 80s that when you have to share a phone that's tied to the wall with your entire family you develop a a series of like protocols yeah. and like courtesy or, and or you never hope know who you're going to talk to and there's no caller ID. So, yeah. so, you know, you develop all these things and that are so commonplace, you don't even think about them. And then you come to a place where they went from no phones to mobile phones with caller ID specifically tied to like one human being not shared. And they, they're missing that gap yeah. of like, which, which doesn't matter, but it's weird because there's this evolutionary jump. Like, for instance, a lot of us who grew up with phones in our home, we knew that if it was dinner time and the phone was ringing in another room, we are not getting up off the table to go pick up the phone because it would disturb dinner and it would be rude, right? But because we didn't exactly have that in every home, of course, many homes had landlines, but it was not always so common, especially in countrysides. Um, then every all of a sudden, everyone had mobile phones and they could be... They could be contacted on demand. And you'll see here people like during dinner, just picking up the phone and talking at the dinner table, even if you have guests or relatives over. And that's just not a thing because they had skipped that gap in development of like developing this kind of phone culture or phone etiquette. And it's the same as um, computers. Like we went from having like maybe a computer at certain places like at an office or et cetera, 
And then everybody in America went on to laptops. Everyone had their own home laptop. People were taking laptops to school. And they just kind of skipped the laptop phase and just went straight to internet in your hand. Mm. You know, like everyone's phone has a world at their fingertips. So the way they search or use the internet is extremely different from someone who had learned to use the internet through like sitting at a desk with a laptop typing because they have to be able to like search for instant information on a phone. That's what they're used to. You know, they just skip that step. Yeah. So we tried to think about, okay, like this is 50 years in the future. What technology would absolutely make it out to the village? Right. And it's like, oh, you've replaced cash with, with a payment system. Right. And, and they even crack jokes about how the old man has this government issue chip, which, which, you know, means that at some point, the government came through every village and stuck a chip in people's arms. Yeah. Right. And so we were like, like it was a human right, you know, but like, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, it's, it's the same, you know, everybody in Laos has an ID card, but not everybody has plumbing or running water. Right. Mm. So it's kind of like that. It was all, you know, take all these things and just move them in context. Here's a, a better example, which I see now. And that is that everyone in Laos is using their phone to make payments now. It's uh, they have a system called OnePay and it's like QR codes everywhere. You can go to buy vegetables from a market lady and she has like a little QR code printout on her stand and everybody's just like beep, paying with the QR code. But they hardly anyone has a card with a Visa or MasterCard. Like there are only, I think three banks in Laos that provide a card with a Visa MasterCard to buy shit online. And that was so shocking to me that like, they just kind of like, oh, we got this QR code payment. And they can't really buy anything online just like because a QR code has to be, in, you know, here. And they don't have visas and MasterCards. And I found that really weird because when we selected a bank, we specifically selected a bank that had a visa logo so that we could like use our card internationally. Right. <laughs> but everyone here is satisfied. They're like, no, we have one pay. We can just scan a QR code at the market lady. <laughs> <laughs> and that seems advanced. You know, it's, it seems like Venmo advanced to me. We didn't know what Venmo was. When I went back to the U.S., oh, my God, it was so embarrassing, you guys. When I went back to the U.S., um, I remember a homeless person, very similar to the long walk, homeless person asking me for money. And I was just like, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash. Um, and then he was like, oh, you can Venmo me. And it was just like this like QR kind of payment as well. You can Venmo me. I was like, what the fuck is a Venmo? <laughs> I mean, I guess one of the it kind of ties into something you've been saying kind of already a bit is, you know, reading a lot of the reviews for it, which are coming out at the moment and stuff like I do find a lot of the the mainstream reviews I'm reading for it do sort of focus a lot more on the concept of like this is a spiritual film. This is a philosophical film, everything like that. And getting I think sometimes as well, tagging a bit too much into you know, exotic belief systems without actually saying if there are any in the film, rather than actually focusing on the genre elements of the film, which as a genre fan, you know, kind of jumps out to me more in anything. But mm. I was just wondering, I mean, just wondering, like, when you were when you were writing it, when you were shooting and planning it, like, how much of um was that kind of a, something you were thinking of, like, balancing the sort of genre side of it against, I guess, that kind of more art house, philos- I don't even like using the word spiritual, but you know what I mean, that kind of side of it. How were you, what was kind of the balance in the film? You know, we didn't think about balancing that at all. And I think that the difference is like they're tapping into something that they're just not accustomed to. Mm. But that spiritual aspect that seems ultra exotic to them is really normal for us. It's really not like the beliefs that the old man has, even the black magic that he practices, even the Buddhism and the concept of cyclical time and reincarnation. That's not exotic to us. That's normal. Mm. These are things that we truly believe in and that are part of our everyday lives. And so when people think that it's mind blowing, it's kind of funny because it's like a large population in Asia practices Buddhism and believes this. We believe in actual karma. We believe in rebirth. um, And we believe in black magic as well as spirits. So I didn't mean for it to be like um, esoteric or spiritual in that way. Of course, I wanted to be extremely spiritual in the way that that's just how we traditionally are in Laos. I'm just portraying us the way we actually are in Lao. Um, and I wanted the genre elements to be very front and forward because Chris and I just love genre films. 
We love the serial killer thriller aspect of it, the time travel science fiction aspect, and the ghosts. But it's difficult to do a genre film in Laos without things like ghosts, just because we really truly believe in it. It's accepted here. Um, and so by no means am I trying to like exotify us, but I think mm. other people do kind of exotify us just because they're not accustomed to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to be really frank about what we actually practice and experience and believe in Lao. And if they want to like, if they want to imbue it with all of this, oh, mystic Asian blossom thing, that's kind <laughs> exactly. of their problem. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of comparisons to other Asian art house filmmakers, which I laugh, I laugh so hard about it. I don't like those films. <laughs> I really don't, I find them boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, more than more than anything, you know, we just really try to like situate these characters in the context of their actual lives. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So so you go out to the countryside here, people get a little more superstitious. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear stories about cops calling in calling in mediums to shamans and shamans to investigate crime scenes like these it wasn't the intention to make it any more spiritual than than how these characters lives would be in the context right mm. so um you know and that's that's kind of an interesting thing is that you know the old man believes that there are ghosts very matter-of-factly he he's, sees them he's kind of practically developed a system for maintaining relationships with people after they're dead right <laughs> but because he's lonely um you know, every, everything that he does is centered in something that he wants, right? Mm. Not some grand mystical understanding of the universe. He's gone through this empirical process of, if I put these women in the clearing, I can hang out with them later and eat a chicken drumstick. Yeah, which he does. Which I like <laughs> because I'm lonely, right? Yeah. So, so like, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things about being here that you notice is just how matter of fact people's belief in ghosts and spirits mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. So, and in fact, I want to be the anti exoticism of how our culture gets portrayed. That's mm -hmm. what I really dislike about some of the festival fair you see uh, from Asia all the time is that it almost like at some point some directors realize that exoticism sells mm. and so that's what they do and in a way i feel like it's very inauthentically portraying the culture and the country but it's because like that's what white folk want and so they <laughs> give white folk what they want and i'm not out there for that i'm just out there to tell a story that makes sense to me and a story that has impact and meaning to me mm. because i realize that i've suffered loss chris has suffered loss and there's going to be a lot of other people who can really tune into that and tap into that and there are going to be lots of people who are curious about the supernatural or curious about the occult aspects, especially from another country. And if I show it on screen, then they can also experience it too. But I'm not trying to make this like, ooh, Asians. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you guys work for Eastern Cakes. I'm sure you experience it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just, it's just really interesting seeing... The, you can see a split between different kinds of reviewers, like put it that way, like and it, it, whether it is the mainstream ones, and to an extent, it's kind of this was something else I was going to ask about. I mean, I don't see this film being kind of called like elevated horror or or folk horror very much. <laughs> 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 no, no, I know, I know, I'm trying not to laugh too much because I don't like the term elevated horror. Folk and stuff. horror because it's folksy that we believe in this stuff, right? Well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's just yeah. not Anglo-Saxon and it's not it's, Christian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because folk horror and this whole, you know, A twenty four elevated horror stuff, where you have like Hereditary, <laughs> Midsummer, and whatever, and then you have this term coming in elevated horror, which I'm not going to start ranting about this. But, you know, it, I'll it start is. ranting by well, God, like, by God. Yeah. It's the whole thing, about, you know, just, for a lot of people justifying they like a horror film by saying it's smarter, but. For this film, I've not seen anyone calling it elevated horror, whereas if there is such a thing as elevated horror, as in something which is intelligent and which is plotted around been, stuff, then it should, then this should be called elevated horror more than some of the stuff which does in that respect. But that's the problem is that horror has always been intelligent. Mm. Horror has always commented mm -hmm. on society and the problems that we have in our lives. And if you go back and look at some of the really, really old genre films, 
they're extremely intelligent. I just think that people didn't give it a chance before. And now that they're seeing it, now they're noticing it. It's a little like, okay, welcome to the party. You're so late. <laughs> it's one of those classic things, I think, where you know, both in horror and science fiction, they are really good places to talk about now, talk about the issues yeah. that we have now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and put it in a sort of slightly... You know, they're just a slightly distant way where people can go, hang on a minute, but that's actually happening. Yeah. And that's the great thing about both genres, and you've got them both of them in, in Long Walk. <laughs> well, what I love when Chris and I got into horror is like, we are already horror fans. We already like genre stories. Um, for myself, it was just, you know, everyone's always in this like pursuit of the authentic, pursuit of the authentic, but. Um, we're not here to make documentaries, you guys. We're not documentarians. Um, neither neither should allow film be an, an anthropological study, anthropological study, excuse me. But at the same time, one of the things that I love about horror is it is definitely a vehicle that lets me tell impacting stories, um, personal stories and important stories, but I can have as much fun with it as I want. And I can actually exceed boundaries that like if you made a drama or if you made a documentary there's this expectation that you have to portray uh authentically what people consider real but no like if i say hey there's a unicorn with wings (laughs) it's a genre film everyone's like okay yeah there's a unicorn with wings like they just accept that and i can do so much more and yet still make the points that i want to make and still tell the story i want to tell ผมเป็นยังขอเกณฑ์เราคือกันเราอาจจะให้พอสองคนมาพอกันมันเป็นอันนี้เดี๋ยวนี้มีหญิงขายสาบสูญไปบุกจากบ้านเราไปทางใด
us working with the censorship board to talk to the higher ups in the government, yes. right? And the censorship board in Laos actually advocates for the filmmakers a lot, <laughs> right? So, so like that's that's kind of an interesting thing is that like we'll take. You know, we'll walk into the room. We'll be like, okay, there's this old man. He's been murdering old ladies. <laughs> he cuts their fingers off and buries them in a clearing. At the end of the movie, he kills his own mother. Then he lights a house on fire and burns a boy alive. And, They're like, what and the, the censorship fuck, people are like, okay, so here's how we're going to sell this to the government, right? Or you what know? they'll ask me, why do you feel the need to do this? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, why? Like justify it for us so we know how to explain it to them. You know what I mean? To the higher yeah. up that might that might like penalize us. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, then we leave the room and the Department of Cinema Censorship Board goes to the Ministry of Information and Culture and they present the case for us making the movie. Right. And and typically, like what happened with the long walk was they came back and they said, look, there's some things that are concerning, but make the movie however you want. Here are the shooting permits. You can't show it in Lao unless... We see the cut. It plays in a major film festival. Oh, wait, for this one, they said that. Right. So, First of all, they have to see the cut, but they also wanted to see the reaction. In the international community, right? Because if everyone came out and was like, she's brought Lao down, she's pulled the covers <laughs> off of Lao, and, the, <laughs> you know... She like it became a super political film or something, which like I don't know anything about politics. Why would I make a political film? Um, then they would have been like, oh hell no, this doesn't get shown in Lao. But then actually they became super proud of the film because like as you know the film did well, and they were like, yeah, that's us, that's us. We passed that. We, we passed that. But yeah. So, but the you know the thing is, is it was like the so called the so called censorship people that negotiated that deal on our behalf. Right. And so when we went out to shoot, it was shoot the script, shoot it however you want, make the movie that you want to make, show it internationally, and then we'll judge the reaction internationally to see whether it shows in cinemas and loud, mm -hmm. which is which is like it feels inside out from how you would expect censorship <laughs> to work. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, they saw the overwhelmingly positive response. Um they were still hesitant about the some of the violence and stuff the but fire. but in the end the the version that we show at film festivals is the exact the same version that showed in the cinemas here in Lao. i remember when we showed the final cut of the film to the censorship board four of them came and when the little boy and the house incident happened uh one of the women left the room and just we had a window that she could see it through and just paced, just paced. <laughs> and then it wasn't until like, like, oh no. You know, yeah, we're like, oh fuck, this is not gonna pass again. Because you know, you get it passed for the permit to shoot and then you get it passed again to show it, right? Um, it was like, this is not gonna pass, this is not gonna apply. Um, and she walked in and she was just like, <sighs> and then to see her pull her notebook out and she was like <laughs> dotting some shit down. I was like, oh, I'm so fucked. But I'm really happy because like, once they passed this film, and then, like I said, the reception was good internationally. The reception was good um, at festivals and critical review was good. It helps me as a filmmaker because then when I take another step, some of you who have been following my career from my first film to this film have seen that there have been like a lot of advancements in subject matter and what would normally make a country like Laos uncomfortable. And each film seems to push that when they see the good reception, then I can push even a little more. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and every film becomes a little more bold, a little more brave, uh, and we get to try new things. And it's a learning experience for, I would say for both of us, for the government and for myself, you know? Yeah, and it, it really helps that the company we work for also has a very good re relationship with the government. Um, and, and it's such a small community, you know, there are four or five film directors. So like we're on a first name basis yeah. with everybody we work with. I know? was on like, I think eight years ago, it was a really different story, right? Well, in eight years ago, nobody knew who the fuck I was. So, uh, cause I wasn't anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a filmmaker uh, 10 years ago or whatever, but I was on a discussion panel uh, with, cause they re-showed my film in Thailand again recently. They re-released it. And the Thais were amazed because of the censorship process that we could just like 
be on first name basis with all of these government people. Because if you got a hard pass in Thailand or if you got a hard pass in China, you don't know who gave you that hard pass. You can't just go back there and have a meeting with them and discuss what perturbed them or what made them uncomfortable or what you should or shouldn't change. Um, no, it would it'd just be like unanimous board. Some invisible government body said, you can't make this film. You can't make this film. But in Laos, like, I get my red rejection stamp and I walk in and it's like, hey, Detnikon, I see you rejected my film. <laughs> what is it? Too many bodies or what? <laughs> you know? And then while I sit down and we go, yeah. it, it's a whole thing. <laughs> and so how has the reception been to, the, to this film? Because it's been released now, hasn't it, now? Um, let's see. We showed it in the cinemas about a year ago here so yeah yeah it was it's it did really good for ticket sales and then also yeah. in thailand that was ultra surprising like in thailand it became kind of this like weird sleeper cult hit which no one expected in fact my distributor had just planned on releasing it in like a couple tiny art house theaters in uh, bangkok and then it just kept expanding and there was like more demand for it because a lot of people tapped into that cultural aspect that uh, the way I portrayed our lives, our religion, our traditions and culture. And they were just so surprised that like we took what is normal and turned it into science fiction. And when you think about it, the, the way we practice our religion, the things that we believe actually organically really work with science fiction or with time travel, right? It actually works really well. And so a lot of people were really surprised. They're like, how has anyone not done this before you know what i mean because it worked so it worked so naturally um i will say that i think in lao it's a challenging film for a lot of people to watch because we are still very new to cinema we've only had our theaters open for what like five years and then most of the fare that we get is like super popcorn films you know they're getting like venom or uh, gods of egypt or whatever and so watch <laughs> they love that film that was like a box office very loud we're back to 2016 no, no, but i remember i remember when gods of egypt came out that was like broke the fucking box offices and now everybody was like this is the most amazing film <laughs> or fast and the furious yeah fast and the furious like sells out lines lines on the street um but Long Walk is not like those films, mm. you know what I mean? And Long Walk requires an audience that is very patient and used to like finding the details and piecing the puzzle together on their own. Uh, and in Lao, when you're not used to watching those kinds of movies, you want the character to have this moment where they turn and say, the reality is we're having a car heist, but I'm gonna tell you the twist is half of the team will be in the car heist. And while they're busy, we're gonna be stealing these cars from this other convoy. And then everybody comes to the camera and goes, cool look. You know what I mean? Like, eyebrow lift or something like this. And um, my film doesn't have that hand-holding. We don't take you through every moment of the film like a toddler. And we don't, like, show you. This is what you need to pay attention to. And we don't explain it to you. But all the details are there. And all the pieces are there. And I just want the audience to pick up those puzzle pieces themselves and connect it together themselves. And that's hard for the audience still. But uh, the ones who knew that and the ones who could do that uh, went and watched it like two, three times because they were like, oh, my God, this just blew my mind. I finally understood what was happening. And then they were finding even new details and extra layers and complexities in the film. And so, like, it was really interesting. This film ended up, for the fans, having multiple rewatches. I actually had a little loud boy um, come up to me recently and was like, he said to me, sister, I watched your film three times. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> like, thanks. He's like, no, because the first time I didn't get it and I was frustrated. I was frustrated. And, you know, loud people can read and speak Thai quite fluently. And he was like, and then I was seeing all these reviews in Thailand and all these, like, uh, critics and bloggers talking about how fucking amazing the film was. And it was frustrating me because I couldn't see what they were seeing. And I didn't get it. And so I went back and watched the film again. And then all of a sudden it clicked together. I wasn't paying enough attention. I, was, uh, I wasn't I was used to this kind of format of me having to do the work. 
the characters not having this exposition exposition moment, right? Mm. Then he was like, and then when I saw that, I went back and watched it a third time, and it was glorious. He said, "I was like, what the fuck?" <laughs> it was really, but it was really amazing and flattering. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, Andy, why don't we just jump into a couple of like final general questions because we've had about forty. 45 minutes almost i don't want to take up too much of your yeah too much of your time so there's a couple of the kind of like the, the kind of the expected general questions about you know you know speaking obviously as like big horror fans and everything is there any particular horror films which you guys really love or which are influences on you know your writing and directing you would have more influences than i would i don't really have a lot of influences like i really i think everybody knows who's met me that i really loved black swan because it was a ballet horror film uh and that's how i kind of you kind of use black swan as a template to learn how to make a film but uh otherwise like it's hard for me to be to say that i'm inspired or influenced by um certain films or other films because before I became a filmmaker I didn't watch a lot of films I didn't know a lot of films when I was little I watched a lot of like super schlocky b-horror with my dad but I was way too young to remember any of it um like way too young and I was way too terrified because I was inappropriately young watching these films you know what I mean but I never I never grew up being like this is a film that inspired me or this I'm making this just like this film I'm just making what I see in my head and trying to get a gut feeling from the audience and for them to have the same gut feeling that I want them to feel and that the characters are going through. Uh, so for me, I, I think I, I work on film on a much more instinctual level than on an inspired level. Um, I guess you could say I'm not a very inspired human being. I, <laughs> <laughs> For me, like I love horror. And I watch more horror every year than I watch anything else. <laughs> but all my favorite movies are sci-fi, which is strange, right? Like, like I love 12 Monkeys. I love Gattaca. I love, yeah, or, or they're Westerns. Like, I love Westerns, right? So, so none of my favorite movies are horror films, even though I think horror is the genre that I like the most, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a really... It's really weird. I think even more so. I can't like like specifically think of like like Twelve Monkeys definitely like I saw Twelve Monkeys four times in the cinema on opening wow. day. Like I went at ten o'clock <laughs> in the morning and I walked out and like <laughs> and and you know went into the bathroom in the cinema and sat there for thirty minutes and then snuck into the next screening and then you know just kept going back and back. Um, and and you know that that movie just like i mean that was what 1996 i was 20 19 years old 20 yeah i was 19 years old like like that movie just man i love that movie you know i i, I don't know that i can think of a horror movie that i've been like i want to see this four times in one day right <laughs> um but there's a lot of sci-fi that I find really, really engaging. I Maybe some of that came out a little bit in the long run. I really loved Gattaca. I have to admit, you showed me Gattaca when we were married. You showed me Gattaca. Um, I'd seen 12 Monkeys once, probably when it came out. I still don't know what it's about because the only thing I can remember from the entire film was uh, at the end, there's a library in Chicago that's covered in ice and snow and a giraffe runs by. Yes. That's the only thing mm. I remember from the entire film is this giraffe running by in Chicago, like out in the open. But I have no idea what the story is about. I don't know what the film is, and he loves it. Um, and I think it's better that I'm not inspired by any films because then, like, I can tell you that there's a lot of films that I dislike. I really dislike films that feel like they're just imitations and regurgitations and copies of each other. And my entire goal in making film is doing something that really hasn't been done before and doing, making a film that needs to exist on its own. Otherwise, like, um, I hate to say it, I don't think I would make film. Like, what's the point? I always tell people this, like, if it's already been done before, it was probably done better than I could ever do it. So like, why, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, are you guys working on anything new uh, at the moment? Anything else coming up soon, or if it's been a few years a since? Lot. The, the, the... <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting off this to go yeah. keep working on a draft of her next one of her next <laughs> films. Yeah, I'm working on three <laughs> films, you guys. Oh wow. Okay. This poor, this poor motherfucker is changing. <laughs> I only let him off that like one glass of beer with you guys, and then I have to be like, send it back. Yeah. Like, three films, three. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So one is a thriller, one is a love story, and one is a creature feature. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. You can say monster. Monster movie. Yeah, there's alliteration in that monster movie. <laughs> creature feature. Yeah, it's a sex pet zombie, you guys. Fat old white guy who comes and like, becomes a reanimated corpse and wow. Terrorizes the village. Yeah, the terror was horrible already when he was a sex pet, and then like the terror is undying now. <laughs> and it's not a real. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> too, too, too terrifying to be called anything other than fact. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, argument takes life, right? Yeah. Or life imitates art. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. I mean, hopefully we'll get a chance to have a drink in person. I mean, that'd be ah, fantastic. I know, yeah. it's been so long. <laughs> and maybe like, some pastries. <laughs> The pastries, pastries. yes, the pastries. <laughs> oh, that's that's like the goal, you know. I will continue to talk to them as long as when we see each other in person, there's hard drinking pastries. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but... you guys, I'm so happy to see you. No, it's fantastic it's really to uh, e, e, e meet you guys or whatever the yeah. the term is. And yeah, because you guys have never. Seen no. Chris before, actually. No, yeah, because no, he's always no. just the fucking computer writing in his scripts. <laughs> I'm the dog babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> One of us has to stay home and watch the dogs. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you guys. So that was a great chat with yeah, the guys. For sure, uh, for sure. I really enjoyed that. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I mean, you know, in terms of the uh, of the film, I think one of the things I, I mean, there are lots of things to really like about it. I think it's, you know, the way that they, you know, as, as we kind of discussed, that they don't mm, mm. do any kind of exposition, that it does, doesn't yeah. try and spoon feed you the plot. I think it's, it's really nice, but I think I... I, I you know, I, I, I love Matty's work. Um, mm. I, I think, you know, Dear Sister is a great film and the way that they do deal with commentary in these films and, and you know, it's fantastic. But I think this almost kind of feels like it's getting to a, a, another level again in the way that this, this it, it's really, it is beautiful. It, it's it, it's kind of combination of, you know, almost kind of, it, to somebody that doesn't really know these sort of films they might see it as art house but mm -hmm. you know that it's kind of dealing with the genre you know and it is it, it does take its uh, it does take its time with telling this story but then how it gets into the intricacies of um, you know of, 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 of the effects that this person has and, and, and what goes on those kind of classic mm. kind of fable almost kind of like fable kind of ways that the you know these changes you know he, trying to change things doesn't 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 work doesn't help anyone doesn't make anything any better <laughs> again we are in spoiler territory no we are no, we're, we're deeply in spoiler territory but um you know you know from what she was saying in the interview as well and one of the coolest things about the film is that you know we have this film which is um you know and i i fucking like, hate slow cinema and i hate uh, for better or worse i don't like any of that kind of like the other sort of um like the whether it's the simon liang or some of the other like really artistic slow Asian cinema stuff, which I think some reviewers, mainstream reviewers, of course, them like are trying to lump this in with a bit. But I think this is this is a genre. I mean, I have to say, Jamie, I actually really like. I know you. I know. I know. I'm not speaking for. I know. I know. No, no, no. <laughs> Although weirdly, I like the Flowers of Shanghai, but uh, nothing else. But like, yeah. it's. But I think one of the great triumphs of this film is the fact mm -hmm. that it is first and foremost, uh, she and Chris were saying, is a genre film. 
Like, and mm. we have a film which is, you know, for me, this, I would call it like a patient build-up. I don't even like, I, actually, I do use slow burn in my reviews a lot, but it's not a slow cinema, even though the pace is not, yeah. you know, which is fantastic. Slow burn and slow know? cinema are two different things anyway. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. This, this, this is like discovery, you know, as they said, like, yeah. you know, playing out yeah. from the point of view of the old man when he discovers and stuff what's going on. Which is great, and I, you know, seeing some of the the other, as you said, like sort of lamestream media and stuff. Which, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I like that man, but I don't know. And it's nothing. It's not to me. No, no, it's kind of a. It's fair enough in a way because they're not often exposed to this kind of film, and if you're, I think that's so, the issue, and it's kind of ironic you know, because, um, you know, from their chat that it that the this kind of started as as kind of a uh, as trying to expose. Yeah, that was fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. You know that 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 kind of side of things where we do know, uh, you know, there's certain festivals I can think of, and I'm not going to name, but you know, there are some festivals in particular where you know that yeah. at least half the festival is going to be made up of those films. Bless well, them. I, I well, like, well, like Chinese visual festivals. You know, of those films that are... Chinese visual festivals half, those, half that. Oh, well, that's one of the worst ones. <laughs> curses, um, curses, that are really, curses name. Really slow, really, really <laughs> slow. And you think, it's oh, true. it's in the middle of the afternoon. I'm going to fall asleep before the end. And, 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 but, but, she's Actually, it's, but she's right. It's just the person... Still, from a more privileged background, pointing a camera, at, you know, poverty stuff for probably and, and for, probably for good about the whole for good reasons. They're you know, they good intentions yeah, rather. Yeah. But it is yeah, oh, what absolutely. it is. It is what it is. It's poverty. And and also interesting that you know, as you said, there are a lot of filmmakers who have dug into that. And I, I yeah, do, yeah. I I personally find it um, actually quite tiresome because there are some mm. really nice elements to these films, but actually, you just know that the. The, both from the festival point of view, but even more so from the filmmaker point of view, they are really trying to go for that that side of, yes. of, of cinema. You know, they are completely going for the festival circuit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's not the, you know, in a kind of ironically in a moment, you know, it, it's not those are not the sort of films that actually fare very well at home. It's all very well to go to a cinema and watch a slow film. Yeah, you can't watch a slow film like that um, at home. Yeah, I mean, you can't hardly watch it in the cinema. I can't watch it in the cinema, cinema either, time, to be but, fair. But yeah, um, but you I, know, but you know, it's it's it, you know, you know that it's it's all seems actually, and it's it's it actually, it it really actually um, on that side of things, and I'm probably dwelling on it a bit too much, and probably mm. going to rant mode. But no, it, no, it rant, 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 frustrate rant, rant. me. It frustrates me because actually there's some really nice elements in these films, but it just yeah. comes drawn down to the stuff that you know is actually kind of refocusing on. On the audience, they know is going to pick it up on the festival circuit, on that sort of critical yeah. kind of, you know, shall we say, you know, white man, um, backpack uh, wearing, you know, European restaurant, you know, they're going to going to really go for that kind yeah, of yeah. stuff, and it it is actually, it does get a bit. Just <sighs> I don't know, I don't know man. It's it, it's one of those um, catch twenty twos, I guess, because without some of that, we're probably not going to attract some of the more mainstream or general audiences into these stuff. So we still. Do we need still a bit of that to get people in, and they can discover? I don't know. There, there's no answer to that. I mean, it's the same as like saying Twilight was good for young horror fans because they started seeing vampire films and they got into proper horror as a result of being like five years old and watching Twilight. So, if watching for some art, well, well, I mean, you know, it, I mean that 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 question that, that's kind of like Pokemon and anime as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, like, completely, exactly, yeah. dude, completely. It's the same thing. Uh, and is it a qu- question where like? And as well, we're sitting here as like a. We, I don't think we're privileged. I think we're fucking cursed because we just we get, we know we see every film because we you know if you're a discerning member of the public and you or the critics or a fancier critic who's paid to do stuff like you know you can go you know and watch specific bits of stuff like we we do see pretty much everything like that um, both from you know from the writing and also just from because we're you know you know film. Uh, fanatics or however you say it in a way that doesn't mm. sound insulting but we see so much more of this than the mainstream people ever would so yeah, it, yeah. to an extent like if you introduce some of these more whether it's the slow cinema exotic elements or the more art house elements or these other ways I mean on the plus side hopefully that gets people into it I mean the same way you know we touched on like mm. elevated horror in that conversation and you know I will rant for hours about elevated horror and stuff but at the end of the day if it gets <laughs> other people into watching horror stuff finds more funding it is, it is one of those things and i think you know? if, if that's we can't know, we can't be snobs gets, about it 
No, no. I mean, and 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 as the the often used joke, you know, about us, you know, uh, we're like the hipsters that that burn our lips, you know. Um, and I've true, used that on the true. podcast before, yeah, and yeah. it is true. But I, I think you know, you're right, and and if people who are um, you know, not necessarily into genres, come to the mm. long walk because they read some of those reviews. Um, yeah. You know, they're not going to be disappointed. No, no. Uh, I, but I, I think I, what's absolutely. great about it, yeah. um, but I think what's really great about it is that it, you know, that you know, in some ways, that's even that's even more of an achievement that it can actually work on the, you know, work for an audience like that that might not necessarily come to a sort of horror or sci-fi or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, for sure. You know, an Asian or even an Asian film in general. Um, but for people like us, mm, we can mm-hmm. absolutely massively enjoy it. I mean, yeah, I would say it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, I knew I would like it, um, mm. but I'm still kind of surprised by how much I really liked it. No, no, I, just, me, I, just, I, I wish just I'd been able to see yeah. it in the cinema, to be honest. Because like, that's, mm. that's definitely one of my favourite films of the last year, and it's just slightly sad that, you know, I, I saw it on my laptop arduously plugged into a big TV mm. because I'm not technical and everything. If it took a couple... <laughs> of troubled connections and everything but I'm glad you know but I wish I'd seen it yeah, sooner because it's fantastically yeah. shot and everything as well and it's a great yeah yeah. It, I, I completely agree I think what, what Matty and, and Chris do really well actually is, is and, 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 and it you know it's quite interesting to kind of hear them talk about the, the difference between the first draft and the second draft yeah yeah, yeah they're, they're very and it, and it is also, you know I mean, it is something about I think good writing is kind of yeah. of, of bringing different elements into things and, and layering stuff. I mean, it, she, she, you know, from things like Dear Sister, yeah, she's really good. You know, they are really good at the kind of commentary side of things. Um, but this this has that. This has all these kind of different layers of things that are going on without it feeling laboured. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Without any part of it kind of getting in the way of any other part of the, you know, we want to say it's horror or you see it sci-fi, whatever. Um, it, nothing, you know, I, I think... I really, yeah, I didn't say it on the interview, but I think what works really nicely about the sort of low key sci fi is you're not you're not taking out of it. We don't suddenly get into a very uh, cheap uh, Blade Runner kind of <laughs> depiction of the future. It's all very it's all very kind of soft and 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 kind of very low key. But that you know, I mean, actually that does work. You yeah, know, like, absolutely. I think what's great about sci fi is some of the best stories and some of the best sci fi films are that. Um, the ones that are just a really good idea mm-hmm. and they don't actually need, um, you know, it's the concept rather than um, not not so much the execution, but actually that, it, it you know, this, this future is not that different. There's an idea here. It's children of men or it's these kind of ideas where, you know, it's something that's not this massive production behind it. It's just the whole idea of it is is that that it's, a good idea, you know. It's just no, I completely, that, that, completely agree with yeah. you, man. I completely agree with you, and and the same for horror as well. Like you know, we we have, you know, sci-fi films and horror films, which are just like great B films and everything. But uh, mm. I mean, not Event Horizon. That's an A film. But we have all these other ones, which are, <laughs> as you say, which are just like a completely strong idea. And for this one as well, like especially the fact with the long walk, the fact it doesn't. Uh, I mean, it, it's another film. You have stuff. Well, he, you know, he's been referenced like Twelve Monkeys and stuff. You can also talk about stuff like, like time crimes, or everything like that. But I yeah. just love uh, the predestination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- oh man, exactly. And these ones are great, but they still get tied up in knots about stuff. You know, not mm. even. I mean, they're still enjoyable films, like, but not Tenet. I mean, exposition. Yeah. <laughs> but with this, I, I love. I love the way the long walk just didn't fuck around with that. You know, it just. And it's the right decision not to not to get into it, and and I. He, he, yeah, I mean, it would have made it sound really quite wrong. I think it would, it would have just just kind of blown the whole thing. And I think it does, it does help the kind of the the you know, should we say the sort of slow burn pace of the film? But <laughs> exactly the yeah, slow so, burn. But no, no, and as they said, like it's still got the proper genre elements in there. It's like the question: Does this make him a serial killer? You know, we still have the gore thing. You know, he's got the other girl like trapped in there, like some mad old rapey bastard or whatever. It's. So, I I think know? what's really interesting about that is is and it reminds me of a you know of this kind of thing of of uh, this kind of theory that you know you are a different person at different ages but this kind yeah. of idea that he's actually he's become a different person but mm. because he's time traveling that version of him doesn't realize that he's yeah, a yeah, yeah. different uh, version every time definitely he's, you know he's, which I think is a really interesting kind of idea in itself that mm, he's he, he's mm. almost kind of like. 
yeah, he's met himself, but he's actually created these different versions of him. Because he, yeah, he's, he's totally he's shocked. Out. He's totally shocked by it and surprised. And then the characters he he meets then are like they think he's the other guy as well. Still, so it's that's what. I, but that's what's so fucking great because they don't really then go into all this like pointless exposition and detail. How that might be, why that might be, what you know, what kind of like comic complications there would be. It just gets straight down to, you know, it still sticks to this whole core of like central feelings about it and stuff, which is, um, very refreshing, for for this yeah. kind of like yeah. sci-fi thing. And I love the fact that like, marrying that with the supernatural, uh, in particular, because you know the Gong Tao, the kind of black magic elements in it are great as well. Like the way all this stuff fits together is a, uh, it's good we we saying this now afterwards because we couldn't gush like this during the interview <laughs> would it be fucking, it would have been embarrassing man but it is, it is definitely one of the, my favorite films of the last year you know in that respect I, I'd, I'd say that as well actually I mean I, I mean I have to say it's, it's a pretty uh, let's face it it's been quite a low bar for the last sort of last couple of years <laughs> um, yeah. but I, I was just actually yeah quite in a slow burn way quite blown away by this film and I think it, it really is it does deserve a, a really wide audience. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. And, and amongst, I mean, it's great. And if it does like attract in, um, you know, people who are looking for the kind of exotic Zen angles and stuff, that's great. You I know, mean, if it introduces them to something like this, fantastic. But also, hopefully, it won't put off horror fans who read some of those headlines because this is a horror mm. film and it's it's got the gore in there. It's yeah. got some nasty moments it's got some good frights it's got the serial colors it's you know it is a horror a, it's film a, it's a proper it's a proper in concept is a proper sci-fi film as well it's just yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a different way than, than you, you'll have seen before which in itself is a good thing i think yeah absolutely and, and so hopefully it will you know and part of it comes down to however it's kind of marketed over here as well as like the review headlines and stuff like that but it's i hope this should reach horror fans properly as well i hope they don't get mm sideline slightly based some of like the more pontificating reviews mm. which kind of invites and it's exciting it you know clearly after this uh fantastic exclusive into eastern kicks like interview like you know we can see that it's mm. obviously not their intent it's just the way some people like <coughs> the guardian uh other people like might review <laughs> so <laughs> sorry someone's some stuck in my throat I, I don't know what i said but no I, absolutely <laughs> it's it's rare to see a film, I guess, which kind of actually manages to successfully kind of straddle that different thing, whether it's like the art house, the actual yeah. genre stuff, the horror, you know, it, it, it's not an uncommercial film in any way. And I, and I no, really do no. hope it'll reach a wider audience, especially from all the, the people listening to this fantastic podcast. So Long Walk is available digitally in the UK via Lightbulb Films Distribution and via Yellow Veil Pictures. Yellow Veil, I mean, that's quite appropriate for our Jalil uh, conversation. <laughs> Yellow Veil Pictures in the US. So that's it for now. Don't forget you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode. But for now, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>